Good morning, everyone. How are you? Nice to be back with you. Thank you for praying for us while we were away. We greatly appreciate your prayers, and we are really pleased to be back with you today. We are going to continue with our study of Romans. Uh, we're in Romans chapter 1. We're going to concentrate today on two verses, Romans 1, verses 2 through 4. Uh, and just so that we have continuity from last week, as I indicated to you, Romans is written the year 54 A.D. So this is approximately 24 years after Jesus would be crucified, uh, and it is one of the foundational books of the New Testament, foundational books of the Bible, um, and uh, it is a critical book for Christians to understand. And when Paul wrote it, he was writing it from Ephesus uh, to Rome, to the church in Rome, and the church in Rome at that time, he had not visited Rome. At that time, the church had probably 200 people, uh, and most theologians believe most of those people were Gentiles, not Jews. Uh, and so here he is writing to a people that he's not met, but he anticipates visiting. Uh, and so he has, been, has his burden of explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Romans is stands alone. As I said to you, that wherever Paul would be, whatever room Paul would be in, he would be the smartest man in that room. He had an incredible intellect. He was incredibly well-educated. Uh, he was educated in the finest secular institutions of the world at that time. And then he was trained as a Pharisee uh, by Gamaliel in Jerusalem. So he had this great combination of both uh, secular knowledge with theological depth. Uh, and you know that he had one of the great conversions ever in the history of the world on the road to Damascus. And, and right after that, right after he had that conversion, he was taken into the Saudi Arabian desert for 18 months to two years. And there he was, according to his own words, effectively taught uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, by Jesus. Imagine that in the desert, one-on-one -on -one with the Lord, pouring his gospel into Paul. And so here you have this incredible story, this unique man who, coming from the Jew, Jew of Jews, all right, a Pharisee of Pharisees, suddenly the switch turns, he comes face-to-face -face with Christ, his life is turned forever, and he becomes the seminal spokesman, really, the seminal spokesman uh, for Christianity, during that time, and probably, as most people say today, if you talk to any secular historian and ask him to give you the five most important people uh, uh, in Western civilization history, Paul will be on that list. Uh, so here he is now. We're studying him, and we're getting a chance to write, listen to it and think about it. And I want you to remember this. He's writing this at a time in which there is no New Testament. There's just the Old Testament, the Old Scriptures, and so he's trying to educate the church exactly as to who Jesus is. There are no really, there may only be one synoptic gospel at that time, maybe Mark. The others are, are not yet written. Maybe Mark has been written. And the gospel of John will not be written for another 25 or 30 years. All right? So you've studied the gospel of John, and you've seen the revelation of the Holy Spirit there, would not be written at this time. And so you have to understand how important Romans is as it lays the foundation for us as we understand exactly who Jesus is. 
Um, and so we're going to read today Romans 1, uh, verses 2 to 4. I'm going to start with verse 1 just for continuity purposes. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow. There's a lot of meat in those couple of verses, which is why when I teach these verses, I take them apart so that we can drill down. He's emphasizing the fact that God had told the Jewish people eons before Hundreds and hundreds of years before, I'm going to send my son to you. I'm going to send a descendant of David who will be the Messiah, who will take you and, and, and preserve your life, who will give you life eternal. And so he is, by doing this, he is showing the Jewish people that God honors his promises. And he's showing the Gentile people that that promise entails not just a Jewish promise, but a promise for the whole world. Now, when you study Christianity, it is really unique in all the religions in the world because it is founded upon a unique person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and not only is, it, is its founding unique, but it is uniquely linked to him. And what I mean by that is this. Without Jesus, Christianity does not exist. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we might as well all get up and go out and I'll meet you at the pancake house. Because frankly, that's exactly where you'd probably have better time spending more productive time. It is only because it is founded upon Jesus Christ and founded upon the fact that he is the Son of God, fully God, fully divine in every possible way, and was resurrected from the dead after three days by God himself, that we're here. That is it. But for that, but for that, Christianity doesn't exist. And if you leave here and don't remember anything else that I said, that's the key that you should remember about why you're here and what this means. It means that for each and every one of us, as we embrace Christ and give him our life, we have, a, we have the promise that we will meet him face to face when we pass from this world to the next. It means that your family that have gone before that are Christians, you will be with them again. You will see them again. You will have a richness of life, the likes of which you can't possibly, possibly even contemplate. All because of Jesus Christ, God himself, who died on the cross. And so that's what Romans is about. That's what this message is about. That's what he's trying to show here. And so the person and work of Christ are the very rock upon we, which we as Christians believe. It is the fact that our religion is built on this rock. You take Christ from Christianity and you have nothing. He is the very center of everything that we believe in, the center of our existence, the center of our promises. But who is this Jesus? And here's the thing. I'm asking you this question because there are going to be people in your life that are going to ask this question. Who is this Jesus? And you're going to hear some absurd things that, that some people are going to say to you that I've heard myself. 
And they'll say things like, oh, you know, you Christians are ridiculous. You, you say Jesus, this Jesus is God. He never called himself God. He never called himself God. Well, that is blatantly false. Blatantly false. And I want to be able to show you this so that you can respond in a loving way to people that make these, these stupid assertions. I want you to turn, if you would, to Matthew 16. This is the occasion where Jesus is asking the disciples, who do men say that I am? And knowing that Jesus, Jesus obviously knew the answer, but he's doing this to probe where the disciples are in their walk. Who do men say that I am? And he's getting various, various answers here to this question. Uh, verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, I want you to understand, this book, John, was written somewhere around 90 A.D., 90 A.D., which means it's about 60 years after Jesus would be crucified. It was written by John because he was astonished at the false teachings that had come into the church. There were people in the church, in the early church now, who were saying that Jesus was not truly God. He was not really God, all right? Uh, and there were some people that were saying things like, well, he didn't really suffer on the cross. His, his spirit came off of the cross, and he didn't suffer it. And so John, responding to this apostasy, and that's what it is, apostasy, because anybody who says that Jesus is not the Son of God is an apostate, all right? It's that simple. I don't need to hear anything else. That's the litmus test of your life. You watch something on television or you hear somebody speak to you about the Bible. If they say anything that denigrates the divinity of Jesus Christ, turn it off and leave the house because the roof could come down. All right? All right? That's actually what John said, according to some other disciples, that when he heard these things being said by, uh, by apostates in bathhouses, he couldn't wait to get out because he was afraid the roof would come crushing down upon him. He understood this. But now you see here in this question, who do men say that I am? Uh, and they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And I love that because that question permeates itself through the centuries, doesn't it? But who do you say? Who do you say I am? Who do you think that I am? Um, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh my gosh, what a declaration. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. There you have it. That's the declaration of Jesus Christ that, yes, I am the Son of God. All right? Make no mistake about it. I am the Son of God. You've recognized it, Peter, not because you've studied that by men or what other people have said, uh, but instead, God has revealed it to you through the Holy Spirit. Yes, I am the Son of God. And so... Jesus obviously taught this. Jesus obviously said this. So you need to be aware of this. Jesus embraced the fact uh, that he was uh, the Son of God. Turn also, if you would, 
to John chapter 10. And I'm doing this because it's important that you grasp this concept and have these verses down pat uh, as we go through Romans. John chapter 10, verse 30. And again, here we are uh, where uh, the Jewish elite religious leaders are persecuting Jesus, and Jesus is demonstrating to the fact that his ministry has been put in place by God the Father, uh, and that he's been called before. And so, uh, let's get some perception here by starting in verse 22. Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple, and walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, they really didn't think he was the Christ. They were taunting him at that point. All right? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. How's that? I and the Father are one. Now, he's saying this to a Jewish congregation uh, who would know that this is unbelievable. He just said that Jehovah and he are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from my Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And this is important because Paul's Romans, one of the things that he's going to emphasize here is that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. But when he came to earth, incarnated in the body of a baby, he gave up his divine power. And I want you to understand what I'm saying because I had some confusion. Some people asked me about that. What it meant was he did not have continuous access to his divine power once he was incarnated in this world. Any time that he had divine powers given to him, it was God giving it to him momentarily at, at the moment that he needed it. You need to walk on water. I'm giving you the ability to do that. You need to raise Lazarus from the dead. I'm giving you the ability to do that. All, right? all the things, all the miracles that Jesus did were bestowed on him through the divine power, but he didn't carry that power constantly. That's the difference. That's important for you to understand that. Because he suffered as a human would suffer. He was tempted as you would be tempted in every way. Fully God and fully man. Continuing the passage that, that we were writing and listening to. Verse 34 that's John chapter 10. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scriptures cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? There you have it again. His very own set apart and set into the world. This is the word, these are the words of Jesus Christ now. All right? Do not believe me 
unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe in the miracles that ye may believe in the Father and in me. And, 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 and as we study this passage, you see Jesus saying that I am the Father are one. There is unity with me and God himself. Look also, if you would, at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 58. Again, Jesus is saying to them that uh, uh, Abraham would, would, would be thrilled. Abraham was thrilled to see it was the time that the Lord was called to come to this earth. And, and they respond, the Jewish religious elite responds as follows, verse 57. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. And on that, that very moment where they were going to stone him uh, on the trip to Israel, if you come with me, you will see that very site uh, where that took place. Before Abraham was born, I am. What did that mean? Well, if you, it may not mean much to you today when you hear that, but if you were a Jew in the first century and you heard the words, I am, it would reconnoiter back to you the words that God told Moses when Moses said, who shall I say you are? Who shall I say you are? And the words came back, you say, I am that I am sent you. And I could still see Charlton Heston. <laughs> and you? I could still see Charlton Heston and that voice resonating through the mountain. I am that I am. And, and you could just imagine. If you're a Jew of the first century, and now this guy says, I am that I am. Oh, my Lord, Jesus. You understand? He was telling them flat out, I am fully God. I am fully God. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the one promised in your scriptures. And so this is so incredibly forceful to me that Paul is now reasserting this in his gospel. And Romans is another gospel, really, but it's a much deeper gospel, much more foundational. And so he's laying out, he's laying out the premise that God for uh, knew who Jesus would be, that he would foreordain that he would come in this world, that he would come and be incarnated in a human body uh, that would be prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before, uh, and, and that this Jesus would be crucified on a cross uh, and die for our sins. He would be the unique foundational stone upon which all of the promises of God would take place. All the promises that it took place that had taken place previously for Israel would be predicated on this Jesus Christ. And so here he is. He is not only unique in his divine nature. He is also unique that he became a human being. Uh, and so he had the divine nature. He takes the divine nature and he gives up the divine nature, all of the divine uh, prerogatives that come with being God and allows himself to be incarnated in a human body. Uh, and so 
Paul is emphasizing this now so that the church understands this. Yes, this Jesus who came and walked with you as a human being, and we saw him, and we tarried with him, and we were with him when he was crucified, and there are 500 eyewitnesses who saw him afterward walk around for 40 days. Yes, he was human, but that same human Jesus Christ, when he was put on the cross, and he, and he died and was buried for three days by divine power, by the power of God alone. God alone, he was raised from the dead. God himself raised him from the dead. Now let's make something clear here. It wasn't the Holy Spirit that raised uh, Jesus. It was the sovereign power of God. And that was the message to the Jewish people. That was the message to them. Your God, Jehovah, who promised there would be a Jesus, who promised he would send his Savior. He alone raised him from the dead. And this nature, this, uh, this nature is contrasted, this human nature is contrasted with the divine nature, Christ's divine nature, which is described here in his verses that he's written as the spirit of holiness. And so it's, in, it's important for you to understand this. You have to get this down. Uh, it is clear, and he's writing this, and he, this will be a foundational premise. Jesus was fully human and fully divine. Now, here's the thing. You will come across religions, sects, who will say Jesus was a great person. Jesus was a wonderful person, but he is not divine. Jehovah's Witnesses say that. All right? Mormons say the same thing. He's not divine. Okay? And I'm going to tell you something. That any sect, any denomination that says that Jesus is not divine is false. Look, we have room in this world to live with a lot of different people. All right, you understand that? We can all come to faith in some different aspect of our understanding of faith. And I'm not knocking. I will not knock other religions, but I'm going to tell you flat out. Here's your litmus test. Here's your litmus test. If someone says Jesus Christ is not God, is not the Son of God, was not fully human and fully divine, well, then you can disregard them as being a religion that speaks for God. Now, I want you to understand something, too. Uh, John understood these very issues himself when he wrote the Gospel of John, which will be written about 30 years later. And so I want you to get a sense by turning back to John chapter 1, which is one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. Because here, John will underscore exactly who Jesus is. And I want you to understand this. Jesus coexisted with God before time began. All right? Time is a human invention. God doesn't, God doesn't care about time. All right? You know, we have plenty of verses that tell us that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. God is uh, not interested, really, in man's uh, mathematical computation of time. But you need to understand something. Before time began... Before history began, before the universe began, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They pre-existed before anything. Now turn to John chapter 1 as you begin to understand this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is capitalized. And the reason it's capitalized, it refers to a person 
and the person it refers to is Jesus Christ. Right? So here you're getting this straight from an eyewitness. I tarried with him for three years. I saw him crucified. I saw him resurrected from the dead. I was there with him for 40 days after that. I saw every part of his ministry. And, and you can imagine the countless talks that Jesus and John had. And G, John was considered one of the best friends that Jesus had. And so look at this verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Plain and simple. All right? Understanding who this Jesus was. Who was this baby in the manger? Who was this carpenter's son? Who was this person that tarried for three years and did miracles? He was the Word. He was with God from the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness had not understood it. He's telling you there that all of the creation, the entire universe, the very world that you walk in, all of the oceans and all of the mountains and everything that you see and put your feet on was created by Jesus. God designated Jesus as the creative agent to do this. Someone asked me this morning about what about that verse in Genesis that says, let us effectively create. And I said, yes, yes. Obviously, there was a, 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 a collection of thought there and promise, but God, the Father, designated Jesus to be the creative agent, the actual person who would do the creating. This is your Jesus. This is your Christianity. This is who your religion is founded upon. And so this is, this is the message uh, to the Jewish world, understanding what we're dealing with here, and uh, then ultimately uh, to the Gentiles. Uh, and, and if you came, came further on, going down to verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What more do you what more can I give you to tell you who Jesus said he was? Who the people that walked with him was? Let Make sure that you're able to tell this story succinctly, as I've just done it. When somebody says to you, but who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And, and you know, one of the things that I would emphasize that you learn to do are things that I would teach the, the younger lawyers in my firm uh, whenever they would have big cases. Uh, especially if we were being interviewed by newspapers. And I would say you need to learn to speak in sound bites. Okay? You need to be able to synthesize your thoughts so that if somebody asks you a question, you can respond in 15 seconds with a meaningful way. And I've just given you uh, four or five thoughts that you can synthesize about who Jesus said he was before uh, Abraham, I was, all right? All these verses that I gave you, I am that I am, all right? Which prove uh, incontestable that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is the Son of God. 
Now, the other thing that Paul is emphasizing here is that Jesus was born into the family tree of David, right? That's the human side, and we know that for a fact, that they've tracked the lineage of Mary. Mary's lineage came directly uh, from David. They track it right down, right through David. But interestingly, even though Joseph was not the uh, father of David, uh, the father of Jesus, they tracked his lineage as well, and both Mary and Joseph come uh, lineally through David. And that was the promise as well that, that God made for the Jewish people. Uh, and so this becomes important to know this. Paul makes it important and, and makes it a point to emphasize that Jesus was a Jew, and he was descended of, of David. Uh, and this was promised, quote, beforehand by God. Why do you think he's saying that? Promised beforehand uh, by God. Uh, and I want you to see this as well, if you would. Turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11. And this is all buttressing what, what uh, Paul is saying here. Isaiah 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. All right? So a shoot will come up from Jesse, meaning from the line of Jesse and David, a shoot will come forward. All right? From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now he's speaking metaphorically here, uh, but it has great spiritual weight. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit, and notice that the spirit is capitalized, uh, meaning divinity. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And when they say fear of the Lord there, it means a respect and love of the Lord. Respect and love of the Father. That's what this branch will be. It's referring to Jesus. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Now, let me stop and tell you that when Jesus came in the manger, he came as a Bethlehem. He came as a baby. But when he returns, he will return as the Lion of Judah. Can I get an amen? You understand? What does that mean? It means that when his second coming comes, he will put his foot down on the Mount of Olives. And when he puts his foot down on the Mount of Olives, there will be millions and millions of demonic soldiers who will be there trying to wipe out Israel. And he will say, Jesus will say a word from his mouth, and that word will kill millions. There's the proof of that right there. All right, He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. That is your Jesus. Okay? That is your Jesus. Fully God, fully man, but when he comes back, when he comes back, he's coming back as God. He's coming back fully as God. Uh, and woe to those who will oppose him, the evildoers, in so many ways. Look also, if you would, at Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up 
to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. All his days Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. This is not about a man. This is not about a prophet. This is about God, the Lord, our righteousness. And Paul is writing uh, in Romans so that he will put a foundation under the title of Jesus, which will be called our Lord, our righteousness, our Savior. So he's writing this to a church that has not really heard this before. All right? They haven't heard this before. They didn't have the Gospel of John before. And so he's effectively telling them everything that Jesus told Paul in the desert for 18 months. Can you imagine spending 18 months with Jesus? Can you imagine? Uh, and I told you before that Paul had to be one of the more unique people that ever lived in the world. He's a little short guy, five feet tall, bald, with a big nose. I'm not making this up. And he had one thing in his mind. He didn't care about anything else. All he cared about was Jesus. That's all he cared about. Why? Because I spent 18 months with him in the desert. How could I not be changed? How could I not tell you this? How can I not give you this story? It's an incredible thing. So you can imagine the forcefulness of this man being so affected by being with Jesus and understanding what the gospel is truly about. Astonishing, really. Astonishing. So by referring to Jesus as a descendant of David, Paul prepares the way for the exalted name he is going to give him at the end of this passage. Namely, Lord. Lord. That means God. God. Because the only time you would use that expression Theologically, was when you're referring to God. Uh, and, and so uh, he is therefore the king announced in prophecy, the king who is also the son of God, and he is also at the same time the king of all mankind. Now, <clears throat> this brings us to the last point of his verse, these verses that we're studying, where he says that Jesus was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Resurrection from the dead. Now, the most common way of understanding these words is to relate with power to his resurrection, demonstrating that the power of God raised Jesus from the dead. It was the power of the sovereign God. The Father is the one who is said to have done this. But in understanding the term with power, we need to focus on the fact that Jesus was the Son of God before the incarnation. So remember that. As we read those verses in John, he was God before he came to this world. He was fully God in everything that he did. He was God when he created the world and the universe. He was co-God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit existing in the state of the Trinity before recorded history, before any creation, before anything took place. Uh, and so it is, it's important for us to understand this, and it's important for you to be able to articulate this to a lost world. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? 
So the point of this whole uh, sermon this morning and lesson is clear. It is not merely a case of Paul's relaying that the resurrection was a powerful demonstration of the validity of Christ's claim. He's not saying that that alone was a powerful demonstration of his claim. It is actually a strong declaration about the Lord's own person. It is a declaration that Jesus is the sovereign Son of God and therefore the Lord of all mankind as well as the Savior. That is why we can say with conviction there is only one way to God. Not a thousand, not philosophy, not your good works, not your winsome personality. There is only one way through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, God himself, who died on the cross, whose blood was spent for you. It is that belief that when you believe that, that nothing else matters in this world, he holds you in his hand. No one, no power, no principality can take it out of his hand. You will see heaven. You will be with God. You will be with Jesus. You will be with your family for one reason and one reason only because you embraced that man on the cross. Can I get an amen? Let's close. Lord, I thank you for the words that you've given us. I thank you for your servant, Paul. I thank you for the book of Romans. I thank you for all the ways that you've reached out to humanity to demonstrate who you are. And who is Jesus? And Lord, let not one person leave here today without the assurance that your son, Jesus, is the son of God who died on the cross for our sins. Lord, let this message resonate in our heart this week. Let us come face to face with Jesus again, Lord, as if it were the first time. And a commitment forever to be able to tell this world, who is this Jesus? Bless our people Protect them this week and bring them back next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.